Good morning. Good morning. Nice. I didn't have to beat it out of you. All right. Go ahead and turn your Bibles to Revelation chapter 2. We're going to continue on this morning. Took a week off. Uh, went up to Tennessee. Uh, take a little break and have some fun with the family. Uh, Brother Steve uh, did last week, or for the most part last week, and introduced Celebrate Recovery to you guys. And uh, we're going to have that starting here in a couple of months or so, depending on how the leadership pans out. I'm really excited about that. I'm really looking forward to all that the Lord is going to use that for and how he's going to set people free from their hurts, habits, and hang-ups. And I love and appreciate the difference between Celebrate Recovery and AA and those type of things because where AA sees this as a, an addiction, a disease that can never be overcome, that can never be uh, cured, uh, Celebrate Recovery sees Christ as the cure and the gospel as the cure that we can be set free and we no longer have to identify ourselves with those hurts, habits, and hang-ups, but with Jesus Christ, who is the author and perfecter of our faith. So I'm thankful for that and I look forward to seeing, I almost think we should call it instead of Celebrate Recovery, we Celebrate Release because we're released from those things of the gospel. But Steve, I've heard only good things, um, loved watching you share your testimony and I've sat down and, and you and I have probably had hours of conversation just talking about where he's been and what the Lord has brought him through and what the Lord's done in my life. And just to be kind of straightforward and honest, when Steve and I first sat down, he seemed kind of nervous and I hadn't heard his testimony before and he shared with me uh, what he had shared with you and, and maybe some more. And, and I think he was waiting on the response that I had because I think he's been condemned by churches and by other Christians before in the past, which I could tell he had a deep scar from. And so I, I, uh, I was trying to be gentle and trying to figure out, Lord, how do you want me to respond to Steve? But, but it was very easy for me because I guess the Lord has kind of prepared my heart for that in that we had several young men uh, come forward and say, you know, I've got these struggles I don't know what to do with. I've got these uh, these issues that I'm struggling with in my life that I know is wrong. I, I recognize their sin in my life, and but I, I don't know how to really deal with them. Can you help me with that? And I can offer some biblical advice, and I can offer some some biblical standards, and but I can't really say that. Well, I know how you feel. Let me say because that's not my particular uh, struggle. I have others. I have others that st that Steve never had. But you know, instead of saying, "Well, brother, we just can't have that here," because homosexuality or the temptation or struggle with just sexual sin in general, whether it be pornography and heterosexual sin and homosexual sin, they're both sin. They're both sexual sins, which is, which is very hard. It's very rough. It's got lots of consequences. It's, as the scripture says, inside the body rather than outside the body. So it's really hard on anybody who partakes in them. That's why we try to lead and teach and preach here that fornication outside of marriage, sex outside of marriage for you young people. We've got a lot of young people in the room. It's going to devastate you just as much as any other sexual act and sexual sin. You may not realize that because you've been brought up in this culture and everybody says, well, you need to try it before you buy it. And you laugh, but that's what we've bought into. Is that, well, that's what I hear when I, well, what's your dating relationship for? Why are you living together before marriage? Well, I got to see if I can live with her. I got to, I got to kick the tires. Well, what, I mean, if she's not good in bed or he's not good in bed, you're not going to marry him? I mean, it's, I don't understand this. You see, when it starts being brought out clear logically, you say, well, man, that's crazy. But that's exactly what's going on. 
And so, Steve, I, I, and I told Steve this, I'll tell you this, I embrace Steve. I love Steve. I am so thankful to see a man who is courageous enough to say, look, I've struggled with this, but the Lord set me free. And you know what? Amen. Amen. And here's, here's where I stand on that. Not only uh, do, I, do I embrace Steve because he's overcome this. The Lord has allowed him and given him strength to overcome this with a lot of help through his wife. And I just I commend you for never giving up on him and for being that rock. My wife was really like that to me, just in a different set of circumstances and sins. She stuck with me. She was the light. I tell people all the time that she was the star that led me to Christ, just like the wise men, except this was a stupid man. So I, I commend you, and I'm, I'm very excited. I'm very excited for what he brings to the table here because those young men that I, can't, that I couldn't really say, because see, if people come here and they struggle with drugs and alcohol and, and violence, then I can say, brother, I've been where you are understanding the Lord set me free from that. But just like that, those other guys that I've sat here and I've cried alongside of and, I've, and I've, I've wept for and I've prayed for, this man right here can say, brother, I've been there. I know that. Let me show you what the Lord did in my life. And that's, that is a, that's not just acceptable, but I'm glad to have that tool in our arsenal for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Praise the Lord. So I'll, I'll move on from that, but I am so thankful that the Lord is bringing us people who are gifted and equipped and have victories in all different walks of life so that we can look at the sinner who walks in the door. We can look at the man or the woman that comes in with all of these struggles and say, look, let me tell you my testimony. Let me show you in the word what Christ did for me and how he set me free and he can set you free too. And you do not have to be slave to this sin. Amen. Amen. So with that being said, let's move on to the Word of God. It'll be right hand in hand, and we're going to uh, get into uh, chapter 2. I, I really uh, was trying to figure out if the Lord wanted me to go on to uh, uh, the church at Smyrna. I didn't really finish all of the last letter to the Ephesians the last time I was up here. I got through about uh, verse 5 or so, and I kind of just touched a little bit on the rest of that passage or that section. It goes through verse 7. But I do want to back up after much prayer and study. I want to back up and I want to touch on the ending of that letter to the Ephesians because there's some stuff in there that will apply across the board to the other churches and to the rest of the book that we need to pick out and that we need to see that applies directly to us as believers and any non-believers in the room, okay? Uh, and we need to understand is that the Word of God touches people in different ways. If you're, if you're called, if you're of the elect, when you hear the Word of God, it's, it's different for you. It's the aroma of life, and it wakes you up to... But if you're unregenerate and you're hardened towards God, then many, many times the Word of God goes forth and it acts as a, a hardening agent because the same Word that goes forth to soften the heart and to give a new heart, it also goes forth to harden that heart and make you rebellious against God. So I pray this morning that you would be open to the Word of God, that you would receive God's Word, that you would let it come in and change you, that you would let it, let it, let it be a breath of fresh air to you, an aroma of life, and breathe it in. And if you've never come to know Christ, I pray this morning that you would hear the word of God, that it, have a, that it would have an effect on you, that it would call you out of the darkness and into the light, and that it would transform you and give you, remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I want to draw this out this morning because what we need to understand is, is that we need to go forth and preach the gospel to the nations, every tongue, every tribe, every nation. We need to preach it to all peoples in all places, in all circumstance. And we need to be able to sleep when we get done. 
It does not depend on you or your eloquence or your charisma or just getting it just right. We need to have certain aspects of the gospel right. It's by grace through faith alone in Christ Jesus that Jesus Christ is the author and perfecter of our faith. It's the gospel that saves Jesus Christ is the only God. But these basics, we go forth and take these into the world and we shine the light of the gospel into the dark places and we eradicate the darkness and we bring to the light those who God is calling to the light. But what you need to realize is, is that this is not dependent on you and what you bring to the table, but it's dependent on Christ and what he does through you. We're just jars of clay carrying around a diamond. And you know what this glorious diamond looks like with the clay backdrop? It makes it stand out even that much more. And see, we, we take this message and we rest when we go home at night because many of you I've talked to you say, I preach and I preach and I preach and I preach, but they won't listen and you're brokenhearted in despair. And, and I understand that. Praise be to God that you're passionate and that you're longing for them. But we also need to, to, to be able to just relax and say, Lord, I did my best. It's up to you now. Because we know that we can plant, we know that we can water, but we also know that it's God that gives the increase. And God knows who his, who his people are and he will not fail to get them. You do not have to think of yourself as a failure if you preach the gospel and nobody responds. This message is for me too. This message is for me too. Especially, especially on the beginning of the summer week and there's a lot less people here than normal. So the Lord's like, I'm going to test you this week. Let's see where you find your identity and your success. Because many of you preach the gospel to your friends and you feel like a failure because they didn't get transformed. But that's not your job. Your call is to just preach the gospel. And let the Lord do his work. You say, why are you telling me this in this letter to the Ephesians? Well, there's a phrase in here and there's a, some, some, some formulas in here and there's some phrases and, and, and wording that, that is used in this way throughout the scriptures in the Old Testament and in the Gospels that we need to hit because it's in every single letter and it's significant for a couple of different reasons. Before we get into the text, let me pray and ask the Lord to bless our reading and hearing. Lord Jesus, I pray right now, God, that you would bless the, the reading and the hearing of your word, God, that you would absolutely overwhelm me with your spirit, that I wouldn't speak anything out of turn or that I wouldn't say anything that's, that's, that's not in line with the scriptures, but that you would take the word that is being preached and that you would sink it down deep into these people's hearts, God, into my heart, and that it would transform us, God, that it would renew us, that it would sanctify us uh, and, and bring us into close, intimate oneness and fellowship, intimacy with you. Lord Jesus, we pray that there would be those who are transformed this morning, born again by the power of the Holy Spirit. And we also pray that there are those in here that are immature in their faith. They think that it's all about them, but they really have uh, uh, renewed hearts, and they've really been born again, but they really need to take a step in their faith, God. I pray that you would call them uh, to that greater level of maturity, that you would help them to awaken, that they would come out and that they would awaken from their sleep and that they would glorify you in everything that they do, God in every aspect of their life, that they would pursue you, seek you, meditate on you, that they would memorize the word, Lord, for the men in here. I pray, God, that they would be servants to their wives, God, not lording their authority over them, but loving them and serving them and sacrificing their very lives for their wives. I pray, God, that the wives in here would be submissive to their husbands in so much that they would bring forth that strong, courageous leadership, that they would be that anchor, that that compliment to the man, that, that that man would be the leader that God has called him to be. 
be. For the children, I pray that they would obey their parents and honor their father and mother because this is the first commandment, the only commandment with a blessing, this type of promise, God, that they would extend their days. Lord, help us all to be who you've called us to be. Help us to hear your word this morning. Open up the ears of those who are here. Open up the eyes of those who are here, God, that they might see and believe, that they might hear and believe. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Revelation chapter 2, if you would stand to your feet. I'm going to go ahead and read from verse 2, the letter to the Ephesians again, but we'll be concentrating today on about verse 5 onward, and we'll finish this letter today. We may get into the letter to Smyrna, I'm not sure. Verse 2, I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. We talked at length about that the week before last when I was here preaching this text. Remember, therefore, where you have come, uh, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, here's where I want to start today. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Yet, you, yet this you have. You hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. May God bless the reading and the hearing of his word. You may be seated. I'm excited today to get to get into the scriptures to uh, help us to understand just who Christ is and just who we are to be. And my prayer, as you can tell this morning, the thing the Lord has been pressing on me and pressing on me and pressing on me is that I and you would have ears to hear and eyes to see what the Lord is saying that we might be transformed by the word and by Christ. We understand that the scriptures are very clear that to understand God's word and to understand and receive God's revelation is a spiritual task. It's not a physical task. Though we use physical means to read and study and we use our reason to open up and understand the scriptures and, and, and these different systematic theologies are very important for helping us to grasp just who God is. But what we need to understand is that a physical, uh, mental ascent to Jesus Christ and a mental ascent to what the Scriptures teach is not enough to produce life in us. We have to have that knowledge taken from our head to our heart in uh, really in a, in a, in a completeness, in a, in, a, in, a, in a compatible way that they work together, that faith then comes by hearing and understanding, and that word coming through our understanding, affecting our hearts, transforming our lives, and being born again by the power of the Holy Spirit. We see in the scriptures many people who have mental ascent, and they believe that Jesus existed, and even believe that he is God, but they do not accept, they have not been born again, they've not been transformed, they've not been renewed by the power of the Holy Spirit and brought into this faith, into this family. So I want to I step into this right here, and I'm praying that the Lord would reveal to us just who he is and it would have an effect on us because repentance and change and movement of the Holy Spirit is the evidence that gives us the assurance of our salvation. Those who say with their mouths that they believe and they, they proclaim Christ but have no fruit in their lives whatsoever, we must, we must step back and say, I cannot believe that you're a Christian. I cannot believe that you've been transformed by Christ because there is no fruit. 
They say, well, you can't judge, you can't judge, you can't judge. Yes, I can. The scriptures are very plain. Now, I can't judge hypocritically. I don't need to look at you and say, well, you're not like me, so you're not a believer. That's a problem. But I can remove the plank out of my own eye, the log out of my own eye, so that I can help a brother remove a a splinter out of his eye, or I can help someone else remove something out of their eye that they might see, well, maybe I'm not who I claim to be. Now, it's not for me to pronounce final judgment on that. I can't see the heart. Many people fall and many people struggle and many people have sin in their lives. So I don't go around saying, you're not a believer. You're not a believer. You're not a true Christian. You're not a true Christian. But what I do is I go and I, if I see a sin in someone's life that I'm close enough to the rebuke and, 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 and they trust me and I trust them, then I'll go to that brother and I'll say, look, you've got this in your life. You need to examine yourself to see whether or not you be in the faith because I'm afraid for your soul. I'm afraid that you may stand before the Lord one day and say, Lord, Lord, and he will say, I never knew you. This is the difference between the true church and the fake church. This is the difference between a true believer who's been born again and those who who say with their mouths things, but they don't have any fruit in their lives and they've not been transformed. A lot of us use God as a a, uh, pinata or a magic genie. The only reason we say we're Christians is because we think we're going to get something out of it. Are you a true believer or are you a false believer? Here's the question. How does Jesus, John, writing to the the Ephesian church, how does he make that distinction? What is the hallmark of that distinction and how it's properly made? And I believe the answer to that is, in large part, how we respond to the word of God. How we respond to the word of God. Let's get into the text and I'll show you what the Lord's been showing me best I can. Let's start in verse 4. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love that you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. Now, here's the command. We talked about this at length, that the problem that they were having is that they were very sharp doctrinally. They had very good mental assent to how the Scriptures unfold, to who God is, uh, Old Testament understanding. They understood these types of things. And so they were very good at systematic theology is the way that I would put it in practical terms today. They were very good at outlining doctrines and, and, and relevant and true streams of biblical theology. This is the way I understand this, is that they were good and sharp doctrinally, and they were uncompromising on false doctrines and false beliefs. And this is a good thing. He commends them for their good works in this way. So they worked hard. They toiled, it said. They worked hard in order to maintain proper doctrine. And this is good, right, and holy. But the problem is is that they overemphasized this to the point that they had lost their appetite and their love and their passion and desire to go out into the world and be Christ, to emulate and work out their their salvation with fear and trembling to work outward it like Matthew uh, uh, like Jesus says in the gospels to go out and make disciples to move out so they had lost this passion of evangelism this passion of displaying the love of Christ and they had become in my opinion staunch Pharisees pharisaical so to speak and Jesus here is warning them that if they don't come back to the first love and we talked about how a new believer is just we've got several in here right now Donnie Dunaway come to mind that boy's on fire right and he's learning amen the men in here know exactly what i'm talking about now his doctrine uh, it's not on that level yet 
And that's okay. He understands that. He's learning. He's in his Bible. He's growing. He's got brothers around him that are helping him day by day grow in his understanding of who God is, grow in his understanding of how God works and how the scriptures work. Not that any of us have arrived yet, but there are different levels. But I'll tell you one thing that he's got on most of you in here and me too. This boy right here is on fire. He's telling everybody. Can't get him to shut up. He loves Jesus. He don't even got to say. He, it's not like he's going around too saying, knocking on doors saying, let me preach the gospel to you. No. As he testified the other night, he was at the Sphinx and this woman come up to him that he knew from his past or kind of knew him from his past, knew who he was, looked at him and said, said everybody told me you looked better. Said she started crying and walked out of the store. Am I lying, Donnie? Said she come back in a few minutes later, just tore all the pieces, wanting what he has. Man didn't say a word. Man didn't say a word at first. But the glory of God was shining off of his face. The passion, the love, the excitement, and the weight that guts the glory of God. Amen? Hey, I walk around like this and say, Jesus is good. Amen? Amen? So, but, but here's what I'm saying is, is that that love that you had at first propels us. That's what, that's what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He says, the love of Christ compels me. Other translations say it controls me. Does the love of God control you? Does it compel you? Do you move and live and breathe for the gospel of Jesus Christ? So we preached that week before last. But I want to show you here this, this really hard and, and serious warning that comes if we do not remember and repent and go back to that first love. So what we're not saying is that good, solid, biblical, systematic theology is bad. We're not saying that at all. Actually, we're saying it's really good. It's wonderful. But if it is allowed to take a place of dominance in your life that causes you then to lose your first love and the passion that God... So you can get your nose so stuck in a book that you can't see anybody around you. We got a problem. And some of you can't stand books. You're like, I don't even understand what he's saying. <laughs> when I get to the church at Thyatira, we'll talk to you, Okay. But what we see here is, is that it had become so overwhelmingly systematic and they had lost their first love that he comes with this great warning. Let's listen to it. He says, remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. Now, this is, that's a practical word. Do the works you had at first. So you need to think back and I need to think back. What was I doing at first? What was I doing at first? And we can go to the book of Ephesians and read a lot of stuff that they were doing at first and see some of this stuff played out. I don't have time today. But it says, if not, now here's the warning. If you don't do this, if you don't go back to your first love, if you don't remember who Christ is, if you don't remember the power and the passion in which he brought you out of death into life, you see, many of us are so far removed from the time that we escaped the darkness that we forgot what the darkness was. You know, I, I don't... I don't speak about a lot about prophetic things and things like that. You know where I stand on those issues. I'm not a cessationist. I'm a continuationist. I, I believe that the scriptures uh, bear out that the, that the gifts of God are still in full use today. You know, I, I believe that God, if he wants to heal someone, he's going to heal someone. I believe that, that people still speak in tongues, not 
all the crazy people that y'all know, but, but some still do. I'm not going to forbid that. Paul expressly says don't forbid it. Uh, I believe that, that the gifts are still in operation today, okay? Uh, you don't see them very often uh, for many different reasons, I think, but I have seen some that I cannot deny. But I will tell you this. When I was first a Christian, when I was first a Christian, I didn't even know, what a, I didn't even know the word cessationist or anything else. All I knew was Jesus. I was laying in my bed and I was reading my Bible and I had begun to go to North Greenville uh, College at that time, uh, university now, but I had started to go to North Greenville College and I'd seen these guys come in and they were on fire, on fire for the Lord. And I was too. Donnie reminds me a lot of me when I was young. I was on fire for the Lord. I told everybody everywhere, anyhow, every how. I don't know how, I just did it. I just told it up one side and down the other. Couldn't shut up. I'm sure I just annoyed the hound out of people. But as I started to go to North Greenville, I was there for a year, maybe two. And these guys would come in just like me on fire, and they would be uh, Christian studies majors just like I was. And they would be in some of my same classes. And then I'd see them switch uh, their, ma- their uh, major to something else, maybe youth ministry. And then they'd switch their major again to something else, maybe, maybe some type of teaching degree or, or some type of, uh, of development degree or, or maybe some type of financial degree. And, and then I, I would just see the fire go. And those same guys I'd talked to six months, some, two months, some a year. Oh, man, how's the degree going? How's your classes going? I didn't stay on campus so many I didn't see much. I had a family I was trying to raise. My son, I'd see them and they'd say, well, I'm not really called to ministry anymore. Well, I, I just don't know about the God thing. See, I saw this and I saw that and it just made me question. And well, I just, oh, it broke my heart. It broke my heart into a million pieces for them and it scared me to death. Because I thought, if they can fall away like that, and they were, they were just like me. They were on fire. And you can ask anybody, I'm not bragging but when the Lord grabbed a hold of me, he grabbed a hold of me. I saw it wasn't anything me. I, was, I mean, I was smoking crack less than four months earlier. Okay, it's just got to be all God. But I love Jesus, and I was on fire. I saw these guys fall away, and it scared me to death. It scared me to death. It still scares me to this day. Going on, what, about, about 15 years now that I've been a Christian, a true Christian, I think. But I was laying in my bed one night, and I don't know how many of you believe in visions and dreams and all that kind of stuff. I don't really care. I just know. I'll I'll tell it like Paul, whether it was real or whether it was a dream, I don't know, but it affected me. I was laying in my bed, and I was reading the scriptures, and I was reading about Peter's denial of Jesus Christ. And as I was sitting there reading my Bible, I'm laying on my stomach, and uh, I'm still living at my mom's house. I'm laying on my stomach like this, and my legs up, and I'm just reading the scriptures. And it was kind of like I dozed off, but kind of not. And I found myself, as I was reading the scriptures, I was standing there around a campfire. And this is as real as I could possibly be. Now, some of y'all that are really legalistic and you're you're cessationists, you're like, we got to go, Betty. (laughs) (laughs) This is one of those prophets. (laughs) But just let me finish. Let's, 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 for your sake, say maybe I was dreaming, whatever. But I'm laying there, and, and all of a sudden, uh, like the realest dream I'd ever had, I'm, I'm standing beside this fire that's, that's going, it's roaring, and there's several people around the fire with me, and I'm warm, and I can feel the heat of the fire. And we're in this big cobblestone courtyard, and there's a big wall right here, I can see it like it was yesterday, and a big 
keyhole gate right there, and there's some buildings over here. There's one tree in the middle, and there's a group of men over there. I didn't realize who it was at first. And I'm sitting here, and I'm just warming myself by the fire. And, and all of a sudden, this person starts talking to me uh, by the side, and they say, you knew him. You, you were the one that was with him. And out of my mouth, not knowing it, it's just like I couldn't help it. It just said, no, I don't know that man. And when I looked over, at first it was like I was reading, but when I looked over, it was Jesus standing there. And he turned and he looked at me, and I realized that I was Peter. And I was the one that had, had denied him. And that gaze just burned a hole right through me, and it broke me into a million pieces. Now, you got to understand, when I saw these people turning away from the Lord Jesus Christ, it scared me to death that I might turn away from the Lord Jesus Christ. There's a reason I'm telling you all this, although I didn't know I was going to tell you this, but I will. I'm standing there, and I'm, I'm, I'm looking, I'm praying for, for days, maybe weeks I had been praying because this was weighing on me so bad that I was like, I don't want to turn back. I don't want to turn back. I don't want to go back. I don't want to go back. But I thought in my flesh, I might turn back. I'm seeing these other guys turn back. And so I've been praying continually, Lord, don't let me turn back. Don't let me turn back. Please, Lord, keep me. Please, Lord, keep me. Show me. Help me. Help my faith to be strong today as it was in that day. Help me. Keep me. Help me. Keep me. Help me. Keep me. Praying, praying, praying. Well, it was all leading up to this point. In my opinion, I was laying in my bed, I'm reading, and I was there, and, and I, as I said, it came out of my mouth, you know, I don't know that guy. And I came over, and it was like it was Jesus. He's looking at me, and I realized it was me, the one saying it, not Peter. And right then, bam, I'm in outer darkness. I'm, I can't even explain it to you. It's like this is the craziest dream I had or whatever you want to call it. It's like this darkness that's pressing in on me this thick blackness that was pressing on me. And I just began to weep and cry and mourn and wail and cry. And all of a sudden, I woke up or whatever. Uh, but I was still in the exact same position, holding my Bible. My head wasn't down. I was like this and pouring sweat off my head. I mean, it tore me to pieces. I got up out of my bed. I went and I sat down on the toilet in the bathroom. On, you know, the seat was down. I wouldn't like going to the bathroom. <laughs> but I sat, I sat down and I just put my hands in my head like this. And I was like, what just happened? And I, you know, I, I, it took me a little while to get over that or whatever. Whether it was a dream, whether it was a vision, I don't know. I don't care. I'll let you be the judge, but I'll tell you what it did to me. I felt at least the partial removal of the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ in my life. That blew, that fanned my flame into an enormous roaring blaze because I don't want to be without him. I've seen the darkness, at least partially, and I don't want to be in that. I don't want to taste what it's like without Christ. I don't want to see what it's like. I don't want to even imagine what it's like. I want Christ, and I want him for everybody else around me. We need Jesus. We need Jesus. Now, let me, let me get back to the word now. Let me tell you why I said that. It says this. It says, if not, I will, rem I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. You see, many of us have lost sight of Christ and what he did for us in the beginning. And many of us need to feel what it's like to lose the presence of Christ. If only for a moment that we might come to realize just who he is, just what he's done, and exactly what he deserves. And that's honor and glory and respect. Not because he has done all these things for you, but because he's God. 
We should be in continual adoration and praise and honor and glorifying him. You know what it is that causes people to turn back? That they take their eyes off the one who they are running to. You think that you can do this thing, and I think that I can do this thing by reading my Bible and, and, and going to church and doing all the motions, or you think you can get through life by making enough money or making a name or making anything else. But I'm telling you this, all that is waste and dust is going to blow away in the wind if you do not know the author and the perfecter personally on a level that cannot be equaled do you know jesus that's the question do you know him not do you know about him do you know him? When he says here, if not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Here's the deal. The lampstand we've already talked about, the church is the lampstand. So he's saying here, I am going to remove this false church. I am going to remove you because many of you, okay, many of us, many people, they proclaim with their mouth to know Christ, but with their actions, they are far from him. They've not been transformed. These are false apostles. These are false witnesses. These are those who proclaim, but they have no work, so their faith is a dead faith. And the problem is, this is a deceiving, a deceptive lamp that leads people in the wrong direction. So Jesus is saying that if you're not going to shine light, then you're useless. I'm going to remove the lampstand. Now, what he doesn't say is he's going to remove himself from amongst the lampstands, but he is going to remove the lamp. It is you who will be cut from fellowship. It is not Jesus who is moving away, but it's you who are the one who is moving away and will be removed if you do not know him. This is a very serious thing, so I want to preach it as if it's serious. I do not want anyone in the room to stand before the Lord one day and say, but we did all these things. I went to church so many times. You owe me, God. He says, I don't owe you nothing. You were doing all that for you, not for me. Get out of here. I never knew you. So this stern warning of being removed, the lampstand being plucked up and gotten rid of is here. It says, unless you repent, repentance and, and works is not how we get there, but it's how we know that we are there. Works is not how we get there, but they are. it is how we know we are there. It is the evidence by which we understand we've been saved that we've been justified, that we've been washed in the water of the word, that we've been regenerated, that we've been given faith. And where does our works come from? It comes from the spirit that abides in us. And how does the spirit bring about that, 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 that work? How does the spirit sanctify? Jesus Christ prayed in John chapter 17. He said, sanctify them in the truth. What's the truth? Your word is the truth. How do you respond to the preaching and teaching of God's word? How do you respond to your reading of God's word? Do you read the word? You know exactly what it's saying to you. You know the repentance that it's calling you to, but you say, oh, never mind, maybe next week. You read a command in the scripture, you say, oh, I don't do that. Oh, well. The scriptures bear out that only false believers do that. It's not my word, it's his. Let me show you. 
He says, yet you have this, yet this you have. You hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which, also, which I also hate. Now, let me touch on this for just a minute here. We'll get into the Nicolaitans a little bit more on down the line uh, because they're in uh, Pergamum pretty heavy, and we'll kind of talk about who they were. But I want to tell you a little bit here because these aren't giving in to the Nicolaitans. They're actually, they hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which is a good thing. The Nicolaitans was a group of people who have come into the church and some uh, uh, some commentators actually think that it is the same apostles uh, that, that call themselves apostles, false apostles, in the beginning of the letter to the Ephesians, but that's not for sure. It could be. But here it says that you uh, hate the work of the Nicolaitans, but the Nicolaitans, we understand, in verses 12 through about 17, are compared to that of Balaam and Balak. And so the Nicolaitans, if you know the story of Balaam and Balak, and I would, res- uh, I would recommend that you go and read uh, Numbers chapter 22 through 24 and, thir- and chapter 31, go ahead and go read those because it'll give you a lot of insight on what we're going to be reading and-, and going over in a few weeks. But just a little bit of information here so we can understand what they're against is this uh, idea of compromise, this idea of compromise. Because Balaam was uh, sought after by Balak in order to be paid to condemn God's people. Balaam was a prophet and Balak was a king. And Balak wanted to pay Balaam, the prophet of God, to condemn Israel and not pray a blessing over them, but pray condemnation over them. But God wouldn't allow it. But Balak wanted to. I mean, I'm sorry, Balaam wanted to. He wanted to get rich by condemning God's people. But God's spirit moved on Balaam, and it kept him honest. It kept him from condemning God's people because he could not curse them. He could only bless them, which made Balak furious. But we read on later, Balaam found a way around uh, being who God called him to be, even though God had provided a protective hand, God had provided him with everything that he needed, God God had provided Balaam with warnings, and, and he had saved his life by the donkey, if you've read the story. But Balaam still did not thank God enough riches. He wanted riches of his own. So we find out later on in the story and in Revelation and other places that what Balaam did, since he could not, by the Spirit of God, uh, kept him from doing it. He could not pronounce a curse on Israel. What he did was he, he, uh, he, he showed Balak how to lead them astray another way. So what Balaam did was is that he gave Balak advice on how to, to allow Israel to condemn and curse themselves. You know how it was? By enticing them with worldly blessings. By enticing them with fleshly desires, with sexual immorality, <clears throat> with food sacrificed to idols and with, with unclean things, which was against their law code in that time, he enticed them away, and it worked. As a matter of fact, uh, Numbers chapter 24 said there was 24,000 people died as a result of the plagues that came because of their sexual, sexual morality and their eating of meat from false idols and their idolatry that was all started by Balaam's advice to Balak. Now, the Nicolaitans are equated with these guys. And so the Nicolaitans were those false apostles or false believers that had compromised the one true God of Israel, Yahweh. They had compromised, and they had begun to dabble in some idolatry. They had compromised the word of God and the church, the, 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 the meeting at the, they had compromised the church with the longing and love and, and adoration of false gods and idols. 
they began to, to, to pursue and to uh, be part of these sexual rituals in, in the temples there in Ephesus, those temples of Artemis and these other false gods and false religions. Let me ask you, people of God, oh, this is a tough one. Do you hate the work of the Nicolaitans? Do you hate the compromise that the church is making? You know, this really goes uh, to, to uh, we need to ask questions. I was in a hot and heavy discussion probably two weeks ago with this guy who thinks that all of this is, is worldly uh, compromise, that we've got a light here, that we've got these screens, that we've got different instruments up here. You want to dismiss that? Or do you want to get in the Word of God and search and study and say, am I compromising? Listen, if, you, if you've not questioned that, you're crazy. And I'm the one up here preaching. I'm the one that, that part, at least partly allowed this. So you need to ask me, you got a reason for that? Do you see it as compromise? If not, why? And we can start to pour in some scripture here. We can start to pour in some principles. Because I think we have gotten to that point before <laughs> in this church. I think we've got to that point before. And we repented. As a matter of fact, I got rebuked. Others got rebuked. You know what it was over? Now maybe some other, somebody else can use it. You know what it was over? The fog machine. Maybe a church can use the fog machine. I'm not condemning all fog machines. But the fog machine in this church had become a problem. Y'all think that's funny, but I'm not kidding. Now, I've searched the scriptures. I've studied the scriptures. And if you want, I believe that every... Now, I believe that the, tr the traditional church should be able to do the same thing. Why do you do what you do? Because I had this discussion with a guy, and I wouldn't plan on saying this. And I've took too long already, but let me say this. The same exact discussion that's being had about the contemporary church today was being had about the so-called old church, the traditional church, 700 years ago. You know why? Is because the organ was not part of the church. You know what the organ was originally a part of? Roman games, circuses, for the entertainment of the people. So the Puritans, the, 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 the early church, they condemned these. Uh, I think Ignatius and Justin and many of these said that this is worldly practices. As a matter of fact, they would say that anybody that even adopted a Jewish form of worship, because many people say, well, the Jews had strings. Israel, David said, we use strings and horns. And he said, well, this is a weak form of worship. We only use voices. So you see the exact same argument was being made. Now we've got to understand, I believe, and, and we can have this discussion later. I didn't, I've already said too much on this. But I think it matters is that, okay, well then, how do we discuss this then? Because you go to the Scripture and you tell me what color lights you can have. You go to the Scripture and tell me just exactly what point is the dimness too low or too high. You go and tell me uh, if you can use an amplifier. I ask the, the traditional guys that say, this is blasphemy. I say, okay, well, where's the line, brother? Because there still exists 
old school Puritan churches that say the fundamental Baptists are worldly pagans. Everybody's looking at everybody else saying, you're doing it wrong. I'll say this and move on. We've got to look underneath. We've got to look underneath. We've got to look at the content. We've got to look at the message. We've got to look at the motive, which is exactly what he's saying here. And I can show you this. I don't really have time today. I did study all of this and thought about bringing it out today, but it's already 1136. But I'll tell you this. Go back to Corinthians where Paul was talking to the Corinthians about eating meat that was offered to idols. I think this is very, very good practical parallel here because this is the same thing that many were condemned with. But Paul says that we're allowed to eat food sacrificed to idols if, if we have knowledge and understanding, if our heart is right, if our motives are right, if we understand that that's stupid, silly things and those gods don't even exist. There isn't, there isn't even really a God that this being offered to. So this meat right here, this is just a piece of meat. There is nothing. This is just, this is indifferent. Now, if I don't understand that and I believe this is sacrificed to an idol and I really do believe that this is wrong and I still eat it, now I've sinned. Why? Because anything that doesn't come from faith is a sin. So I will say that if a traditional brother came into this church and he really felt like all this was sinful and he continued, for him it would be sin. Now you say, now I done chased this rabbit. I'm going to go ahead and get it, okay? <laughs> now you say, are you telling me, brother, that, one, that, that, that a thing can be a sin for one man and not another? Yes. And this is the problem with our churches today and why we have so much hate for one another. It's because you don't understand that what might be okay for that man's not okay for that man. There's such a thing as Christian conscience, and we don't understand it in the church. Some of you in here, let me hit the one, might get me thrown out. Some of you in here can have a beer and not sin whatsoever. Some of you in here cannot, because if you had one, you would be in sin. You understand that? Jesus drank wine. There ain't no rocks in here, are there? He made lots of wine for other people to drink. Paul commands Timothy to have a little drink because it's good for his stomach. But Paul also says, I'm free to do all things, but not all things are beneficial to me. Therefore, I forego my right to eat meat or drink wine lest I cause my brother to stumble. You see, we need balance here. We need understanding. And I'm going to tell you this about translations of the Bible. I'm just stomping the junk out of this rabbit now. I have KJVO friends. You know what KJVO is? King James Version only. And they will beat you to death with their King James Version. But you know what? When I was first a believer, and I was just getting opportunities to preach. I would go to churches around here, and they would give me opportunity to preach. But I, I remember one, is, one in particular, that I had an earring in my left ear and an NIV in my right hand. Went into the church, and they didn't beat me to death. Praise the Lord. But what he did say, if you want to preach here, you got to lose the earring. This has really happened to me. you got to lose the earring, 
and you got to preach from the King James. As I was taking my ring out, I said, do you got a King James I could borrow? And I preached the word of God from the King James Bible. I didn't care. I really didn't. I wanted to preach Jesus. I want to preach Jesus. When it talks about not eating meat or drinking wine unless you cause your brother to stumble, I've heard many say you should never drink uh, wine or have alcohol because you might cause the alcoholic to stumble. That's a legitimate point, but that's not what that scripture is teaching. That scripture is teaching that so that you don't cause your weaker religious brother to stumble, your legalistic brother who is still stuck in the traditions, man-made laws and regulations and rules that we don't understand why he would put those jokes on himself again. But you know what? It's not your place to remove those jokes. You can help him with Scripture. But until God releases him from that, understand that God's given him that conviction. And stop beating him up about it. And stop flaunting your freedoms in front of him. We need to be understanding with one another, with our weaker brothers and with our stronger brothers. We need to be understanding that there is movement and there's room in this faith for some of this. Now, let's get back to this text. I, I chased a long rabbit right there, but I think it, it, it is absolutely applicable here because he says, yet you, this you have, you hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. So there is an element of compromise that if we get to that point, we are uh, being condemned. We are being condemned by the Scriptures, and we are, being, uh, uh, we are being called sinful if we compromise too much. So you know what? We need our traditional brothers. We do. You know what we need them for? To call us back from all of our liberal freedom beating. How many people do godless things in the name of freedom? In the name of being able to do whatever they want to do. And I'm going to tell you this right now. I understand why the traditional churches who don't know us and who don't know what our doctrine is and who don't know what our motives are and who have never listened to a sermon or they've never listened to the words of our music, I can understand that only the only view they have of a church like this are some mega churches that do absolutely godless things in worship. I understand it. And so they look at us and they say, godless. Is that right? No. They need to judge, they need to they need to judge rightly. Judges, judges. But they need to judge rightly. Because we need their right judgment. Because there are some more traditional brothers in here are the ones that pointed out the use of the fog machine that I actually, after the conversation and after much prayer, agreed, had gotten to a place of compromise. Now, was I right? Maybe. Maybe not. But my conscience was messed up. So there's no fog machine. Rather have no fog machine and no cool fog than compromise the gospel. Is this a show? I even, we had to tell Michael, Michael, Michael Jackson, man, that joker loves some lights. He'll be having them things going sometimes. Now he's got a pure heart. And I think, I think that's awesome. But it's messing with my conscience because this looks a little bit like a conscience. I'm like, Michael, just calm down a little bit on the lights. I think it's good, man. He, he gets some things just right sometimes. The, the effects, and this is where I stand and say, if, if that man can use his gift to, 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 to glorify the Lord, let him use it. Let him use it. Now, this is another statement that might, this may not be comfortable for you. No, I'm talking about this church. 
This church, this church may not be comfortable for you. It may be sinful for some to come to this church just because of the atmosphere. Now, I would say that's a weaker brother, and I'd say I show that scripturally. But it may be hard for some of you to go to that church because you see it as cold and dead and all these other things, but it's not to them. Let us give each other liberty, but let us also hold each other to a great standard by the Scriptures. He says, yet this you have, you hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Now, here he, said, he says, yet, you ha- you, uh, yet this you have, you hate the works of the Nicolaitans, so they didn't compromise. Okay? They didn't compromise. Now, I think you have to continually examine yourselves, your doctrine, your actions, your works, uh, your motives, all these different things so that you'll know you're not compromising. Because we have a tendency to go too far this way, too far left, then we have, a, uh, we have a tendency to go too far right. So really, really, and I hope we are that balance, but really the balance, the, 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 the truth is in the balance. So you get really staunch, hardcore, fundamental Baptist church that hate everybody, and then you get really liberal, contemporary churches that, that play highway to hell just so they can get everybody. Can we say yes or can we say yes? We say kind of no and kind of no. Let's find a balance right here. Let's not compromise with the world, but let's experience and and enjoy all the freedoms that we can. But it says, but I have this against you. Yet this you have, you hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Now here's a phrase right here that we need to understand that what he is saying is, is he is saying that you who are true believers need to hear the word of God and make the proper changes in your life in order to be more conformed to the image of the Son of God. He says, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now, I talk to a lot of pastors and a lot of preachers who say things to me like, uh, the word of God is only to save. And they feel destroyed if they preach and they preach and they preach and nobody ever gets saved. Or they say that God loves everybody in the world just the same. I don't know if you believe that or not, but I don't understand how you can believe it if you've read the Bible. There is a particular people who God is calling from darkness into light. And there are some people who hate God and they are hardened and they will not love God. They don't want to love God. It's not because he's, he, he won't let them. It's because they don't want him. And when you preach the word to them, it makes them harder and harder and harder and hate and hate and hate. And it makes it worse. But the man of God is successful in God by preaching the word, not the results of the word preached. That's up to God. You want to tell me that a successful ministry is one that only grows up people and only expands the kingdom? You want to tell me that's successful? Then what in the world do you say to Jeremiah? What in the world do you say to these Old Testament guys? Now, we do see increase in the New Testament. We also see a decrease. What do you tell Jesus when he preached the hard truth in John chapter six and everybody left all the way down to the 12? And then he looked at them and said, y'all going to stay? And what'd they say? 
where else are we going to go? Because you have the words of life. The reason they wouldn't go anywhere is because they believed the word of God. Now, here's the phrase. Unless some of you think that I'm just making stuff up because I like hard teachings or hard sayings, and my wife's always the one that's like, why do you got to be the one that, that says that stuff? It's just because it's in the Bible, and I got to keep on saying it. All right, listen. You need to understand, and this is a hard teaching, I know. So it's only hard. It's, now, listen. Let me, let me qualify. It's only hard to those, mostly, to those who are in a Western American understanding of how valuable and how good man is. They don't get it. They don't get it because they think it's unfair if God would save some and save others and save some and not others. But why do you think God's obligated? Are we that good that he would have to save everyone? Would God be just in his just condemnation of some because they just deserve to go to hell? Some of you are getting shook up right now. But I want to show you something in here. And how can we appreciate this teaching that's clearly in Scripture? Listen to what the Scripture says. This is where this, he who has an ear, let him hear. This is where part of that comes from and the understanding comes from. Isaiah chapter 6, uh, verses 9 through 10. And he said, this is the prophet, and he said, go and say to this people. Now, I want you to hear. I want you to hear this. Because some of you think that Jesus Christ is all hugs, unicorns, and lollipops. Okay. Listen to, what, listen to what the prophet says. And he said, go and say to this people, keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and blind their eyes. Lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. God's got purposes, and God will complete his purposes no matter what. And God is absolutely justified as the word of God is being preached to absolutely harden some and soften others for the glory of God. I only pray that in this room you would realize if you do not hear the word of God and if you do not repent, that if you do not receive it and be changed by the Lord Jesus Christ, then you will be hardened, you will be an enemy of God, and you will experience nothing but the wrath of God. That's the sternest warning I could possibly give. Who are you? Which one are you? I have no idea. Whosoever will may come. Whosoever will. If you've heard the word of the Lord this morning and you want to give the Lord Jesus Christ your life, be transformed by him, so come. So come. Come and give your life to him. Stop playing games. But some of you will hear this message, you'll turn your nose up and you'll say, who is this guy to, to speak as if, as if God is sovereign? Matthew chapter 13, so that you don't think that the Old Testament disagrees with Jesus. Such a hard teaching. Then the disciples came other, other seeds fell on the good soil. This is the parable of the sower. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. He who has ears, 
let him hear. Then the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? Who are you? Who are you? You hear, O people, the word of God. You decide who you will follow today. Choose this day who you will serve. Who are you? Do you have ears to hear and eyes to see? Or are you hardened in heart and a hater of God? Why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. But to them it has not been given. And he will have an abundance but from the one who has not. Even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables. Jesus speaking. This is why I speak to them in parables. Because seeing they do not see. And hearing they do not hear. Nor do they understand. Indeed in their case the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says. You will indeed hear but never understand. And you will indeed see but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull. Has your heart grown dull? And with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, Many prophets and righteous people longed to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. There are many of you in this room today, I'm afraid, that you hear every word I'm saying. You hear the warnings. You hear the encouragement. You hear the gospel. You hear the, 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 the blessings the steadfastness and the eternal life that's at hand if you would only bow the knee to the Savior. But many of you, you say things like, well, I've said that prayer, but you have hate in your heart. Many of you say things like, I've been forgiven, but you haven't forgiven. And if you can't forgive them, he won't and has not forgiven you. You say things like, I do all types of stuff for the Lord. But you don't love him. He's not the centerpiece of your life. He's not your joy and your satisfaction. You hear his word, but you don't care. You hear me preach every week. You hear the testimonies, but nothing changes. You don't have to be a murderer. You don't have to be a child rapist. You don't have to be a horrible, evil person to go to hell. You just got to not love Jesus. You just got to not accept his word. You just got to keep on about your merry little way. When you hear the word of God drop like a hammer and you say, I don't care. He who has an ear, 
Let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Do you hear the Spirit? Do you obey? To those who do hear, many of you don't hear, and I don't know how else to say it, but I'm praying. I'm, I don't know who you are, but I am praying with every ounce of my being, with every ounce of my energy, that, that something, something somewhere, somehow, maybe today, maybe tomorrow, maybe yesterday, would be that spark to ignite the life, to ignite the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ as the centerpiece of your life. I really, really, really want you to ask yourself, am I a religious person who, who just does what I think is right? Or do you have an intimate love affair with the Lord Jesus Christ? All of you who have been so-called believers for years and years and years, I want you to examine yourself. I must examine myself. I am calling you today to examine yourself. Do you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ to the degree that it affects every aspect of your life? How you talk to your husband, how you talk to your kids, how you, how you watch TV, how you talk to your wife, how you love your wife, how you move and breathe and live every minute of every day. Is He the Lord of your life? Is He God? Or is He some saying, some trip to a building on a Sunday? Please wake up and live. Live. He says to you who hear these words and you come to life, He says to you, to the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. You need to know that the tree of life is Jesus Christ. Isaiah 11 says that he's the root of Jesse that springs up like a young shoot. Revelation 5, 5 and 22 says that he's the root of David. He is the tree. He is the tree. He is the root. He is where we get our sustaining and our hope and our joy and our growth and our power. He is the root that makes us alive. In John 15, he is the vine and we are the branches. Jesus Christ is the tree of life. And all who come to him will eat freely of the fruit. And they will be sustained and filled up full, busting out of the seams. And they will love life and life will love them. And though some may come and war against them and though some may throw bombs and throw rocks, it won't matter. It won't matter because the tree of the life is where? It's in the center of it all. It's in the center of the garden and it is the center of the throne room. Jesus Christ is in the center of the throne room. And when we have Christ, we have paradise with God. You see, I know life is hell for some of y'all right now. I know it is. I've been there. I've walked through it with some of you. I know some of you right now, you hate life. You hate your wife. You hate your husband. You're hating your children even. You're hating yourself. You look in the mirror and you're disgusted. And you're turning to things like, like alcohol. You're turning to things like drugs. You're turning to things like other women. You're turning to things like, like pornography. You're turning to all of these different things. Longing, longing that you could find life in them. Some of you are even turning to the church. Some of you are turning to the scriptures. Thinking that head knowledge will, will, will give you escape from the truths of life. 
But Jesus said, even of those who are looking to the scriptures apart from him, that you think, you search these diligently, thinking to them that you have life. But I tell you that it is all these who, that teach about me. <laughs> they can't see the forest for the trees. I don't care where you go. You can go to the church house, you can go to the bar room, <laughs> you can go to the car wash, you can go to the movie theater, you can go to the uh, wherever. You can come and make a pallet on the floor. And you can live out the rest of your days on the stage. Without Christ, it's just silliness. Is he God? Is he the king of your life? Is he the tree that you eat from on a daily basis to make sure that you are filled up full? And in this, in this, we can have paradise with God. In Christ, we have paradise with God even in the midst of the storm, even in the midst of the thorns and the thistles and the work, we have paradise with God. And this looks forward also to that great day that the paradise will be fully realized in Christ Jesus and there will be a new heavens and a new earth. And like the song says, I'll fly away, oh glory, I'll fly away. But don't live your life looking for that day because I'm telling you, you can have paradise today. That Jesus Christ said the kingdom is at hand. As we all stand to our feet, I've preached the, the, the best way I know how. I know it was kind of boring in some places, but it don't matter. It don't matter. It's the word of God. And I'm going to sleep good tonight. Because I've done my job. What is the Lord doing in your life? What is the Lord doing in your heart? I open up the front or where you stand, wherever. I want you to respond to the Lord the way that he's calling you to respond. You know who you are. I'm going to say this and I'm going to sit down and shut up. You know who you are. You know exactly who you are. Are you a hardened individual today who's never been set free before? Have you heard hard truths and this made you harder? Would you repent today? Would you allow the word of God to come in and change you, to renew you? Some of you have been going to church for 30, 40, 50 years. You've never known Jesus. You can know him today. You can know him right now. Today is the day of salvation. For those of you who know the Lord, but you're sitting still. Those of you who know the Lord, but you've left your first love. He doesn't, he doesn't cause you or compel you anymore like Paul said. You're just lazy, staunch, stagnant, stinking. Because you, you haven't got up out of the couch for days, months. Repent, repent and go back to your first love that the joy of the Lord might reign in you. Go back and eat of the tree of life that is Christ. He was the one that hung on the tree that we might be filled up full with all that we need. Jesus Christ is the one who you need. Come, respond to the Lord Jesus Christ now.